Tiki Hut Media. From Manatee Life Church, a multicultural United Methodist community of faith in Bradenton, Florida, this is Soul Ramblings Podcast, and I'm your host, Jerry Wicker, lead minister over at Manatee Life Church. Today is Ash Wednesday, and we begin the Lenten season today, leading up to Easter. We also have a recent sermon from over at Manatee Life Church. We'll head over to the sanctuary, continuing in our Apostles' Creed series, Truths That Unite. We look at the fact that Jesus Christ, on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We'll take a more detailed look at that as well. And I've got some thoughts on this Ash Wednesday episode as we look forward with God. Ash Wednesday is the day that we begin the Lenten season, as I said, a time of reflection as we wait for the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the Lenten season. Ash Wednesday is also the day that we are marked with just a little ashes. We do this by choice. Just a little ashes, that's all it is. And what are ashes? They are the product of burning something away. They are what is left over after fire passes over through something. They are the waste after the heat and light are gone. So why do we put this, for lack of a better word, this dirt on our foreheads on Ash Wednesday? Where did this strange tradition come from and what does it mean? Well, these ashes are a symbol, like so many in our services, The Bible tells us that from the dust we came and to the dust we shall return. That's Genesis 3.19. We are told that God formed us from the dust of the earth and breathed life into that dust. Without this breath or spirit of God, we would be just like these ashes, lifeless. In biblical times, it was common for people who were mourning to dress in rough clothing and put ashes on their heads. Hence the expression, sackcloth and ashes. However, instead of all over our heads, we put a cross of ashes on our foreheads. Why? Well, these ashes are also a symbol of repentance. They symbolize the beginning of Lent, a time of reflecting on our shortcomings, our limitations, our failings. These ashes are also a symbol that we are sealed in Christ. When we're baptized, the priest or the pastor seals us with the sign of the cross. The cross of ashes is also a reminder of that same baptismal mark of Christ. The book of Revelation tells of an angel marking the faithful so that when the end of time comes, they would be protected. The mark was a mark of ownership, of belonging to God. The ashes are traditionally from burned palm branches, the palm branches from last year's Palm Sunday, and a symbol again. The palms are a symbol of victory. We remember the victorious ride of Jesus on Palm Sunday, leading quickly to his death. With these ashes, we remember that our victories are but ashes before the glory of God. These may be just a few ashes, but as you can see, they mean a lot. These may be just a few ashes, but they mean so much more. They may be seen as a symbol of our need for God that without the teaching and examples of Jesus, without his resurrection, we would be nothing but dust and ashes. If they are a symbol of our repentance and mourning, they are also a way of showing on the outside 
if we truly keep our Lent, what is happening on the inside, and that we are once again striving to be like our Savior. Yet in the midst of our repentance, we remember we are forgiven and marked as Christ's own. The very burning away of our sin by the fire of God's love makes us God's own. And as his own, we are children of God and will overcome death through the cross of Jesus. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent, but Lent is not merely 40 days of deprivation and reflection. It's preparation for truly participating in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is about dying to an old identity defined by our cultures, our traditions, our habits, even our families, and being born into a new identity centered in the Spirit of God. It means dying to an old way and being born into a new way of being, being centered in God. It's about dying to deadness, the daily routine of our lives that we trudge through, oblivious to the needs of others and the call of our Lord. It is a time of reminding ourselves of God's love and God's reality. It is a time to be lifted out of our confinement, removing those feelings uh, that burden and, and mortality of fear and doubt. These ashes that will be placed on our foreheads remind us that we are mortal. These ashes remind us we only have one earthly life. How do we spend these 40 days of Lent? Well, we have 40 days to open ourselves to God who created and loves us. We have 40 days to face ourselves, confident in the love and acceptance of God. We have 40 days to remember that we are dust, and to dust our bodies will return. But with God's grace, our spirits can be transformed, and we can learn to live this life more fully, allowing God's love to transform us. So as we come today to have the sign of the cross placed on our foreheads, may we open our hearts, admit our helplessness to save ourselves, and accept the grace and forgiveness that marks us as a redeemed child of God. Let's rejoice in the simple symbol of our salvation. So if you see people on the street with a dirty cross on their foreheads, you will know not to say, hey, you've got some dirt on your face. Like many of you, we are heartbroken as the death toll in Turkey and Syria continues to rise and rescue workers continually and tirelessly find survivors. It was the most powerful earthquake earlier this month, recorded since 1939. In the hours that followed, at least 78 aftershocks were reported, followed by a second earthquake of a 7.5 magnitude. The original one was 7.8. More than 5,000 people were killed, with deaths expected to rise and rising every day. The earthquake also heavily impacted northwest Syria, where 4.1 million people depend on humanitarian assistance. The majority are women and children. At this time, Syrian communities are simultaneously facing an ongoing cholera outbreak and extreme winter weather events, including heavy rain and snow. The humanitarian response is overstretched due to the devastation and cold weather. UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief, has released an initial solidarity grant to a long-standing humanitarian partner, International Blue Crescent, which has offices in Turkey. The grant will provide tents, heaters, blankets, warm clothes, ready-to-eat meals, and basic first aid kits. If you would like to, and if you are so moved, 
to donate to UMCOR, you can do so by clicking on the link in the show notes. Let's head over to the sanctuary for this week's Apostles' Creed sermon on Jesus, his exaltation. Our scripture reading for the morning comes to us from the Acts of the Apostles, the first chapter, the first 11 verses. Hear these holy words. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of God for the people of God. God. O Lord, In the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. We are continuing our series, Apostles' Creed, Truths That Unite. We've gone over several statements, but we come to the statement in the creed this morning that could be considered the most pivotal most profound belief that is declared by the apostles and for those of us who believe. And it is this, that we believe Jesus, who the creed is already recognized as the Christ, the only Son of God, our Lord. Jesus, on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now there's three parts here. It's a threefold declaration. He rose, he ascended, and he seated. These three statements, each of them significant, are joined together in one sentence to speak of what has been referred to as the exaltation of Christ. The exaltation. Exaltation is a fancy word that talks about being lifted up. That's what it means, being lifted up or being elevated in recognition. That's what 
is being recognized in these words in the creed. Let's look at the three phrases and what they say to us. Three-part phrase begins with recognizing on the third day he rose from the dead. On the third day, on the third day, having died on Friday afternoon, buried before sundown, that's the first day. Saturday being the second day. He was raised from the dead sometime early on Sunday morning, the third day. We're going to spend Easter celebrating this fact of our faith. The third day he rose from the dead. We do not worship a dead Savior. We worship a living Savior. The second part of that phrase is where we're going to park and spend some time this morning. He ascended into heaven. Now, it's valuable for us not to miss this truth. It's a great truth. The ascension sometimes is treated almost like a postscript in a letter, a PS in a letter. Oh, he, he died and he rose. Oh, PS, by the way, he also ascended. But it is vitally important. It's a very significant fact that he ascended into heaven. And this is what Jesus described when he said over in John 16, he said, I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. This too is testified by those who witnessed it. And that brings us to our scripture in Acts chapter 1. They witnessed it. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Claire, have you ever heard that on a long trip with Katie? Are we there yet? Yeah. Any parent who has been on a long car ride with a little one knows this question well and the tone of voice the kids use when they ask it over and over and over and over again. Sometimes the child is so eager to get there. Sometimes they're bored. And they want the trip to hurry up and be over. And the question gets asked before you've even gotten on the interstate a lot of times. Are we there yet? I'm sure Jesus felt like you did, Claire, and many of us that have had children. Because the disciples were asking, the apostles were asking, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are we there yet? Is this it? Is this the time? Is it going to happen at last? I mean, as far as they were concerned, when Jesus called them some three years earlier, they thought they were signing on for some kind of Jewish renewal movement, a revolution. Jesus' motley crew band of followers thought God had appointed Jesus to be the true king of Israel in some sort of earthly, ordinary way. They had hoped for top jobs in his new government he was going to establish. Jesus, with his healing power and revolutionary teaching, would rule in Jerusalem and restore Israel. Israel would be the top nation, the reigning superpower, ruling over the rest of the world. Hence, when they said in verse 6, restore the kingdom of Israel. That's what they were hoping for. And so, 
The question was natural. Is this it? Are we there yet? And in many ways, this question has been asked of Christians throughout history over and over again. Nearly every time there is some horrible disaster, like an earthquake in Turkey and Syria, there are well-meaning Christian folks who say, oh, it's here, it's time, the end is here. In terms of the children in the car scenario, Jesus responds by basically telling them that they simply aren't ever going to have a complete sense of where they are on the journey, where they are on the interstate. They aren't supposed to. But what he does go on to say is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. My witnesses. What does that mean? Well, in the world of the first century, when someone was enthroned as king, when someone was exalted as king, that new kingdom really wouldn't take effect until everybody knew about it. So there were witnesses, or heralds, as they were called, who would go off throughout the countryside and the territory proclaiming the news, we have a king, we have a king, we have a new king, the kingdom is here. Whether that king was Claudius or Nero or whomever. And that is what Jesus is telling his disciples they must do once they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you're asking about the kingdom? You're asking when it will come about? Well, in one sense, it's already happened. Because in my own death and resurrection, I have already been exalted as king, Jesus is saying. But not just king of Israel, in, in the way you think of it. The kingdom of heaven and all of earth. You are to go out and tell the world about this. We have a king. We have a king. In the meantime, Jesus is saying, the final culmination of all these things, when the whole world is visibly and clearly under the rule of God, when I return and set up a new heaven and a new earth, that hasn't happened yet. We're in the in-between time. That's what the two angels meant when they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, quit gawking and standing around. You heard Jesus. There's a lot of work to be done between now and then. A lot of work to be done. You are to be witnesses, to, to be heralds. From here to the end of the earth. Think about the Lord's Prayer. We say it every week. Maybe you say it every day. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, the second part of that sentence defines the first part. We are to seek to have a situation upon this earth where God's will is as perfectly done as it is in heaven. And so... 
as we pray, we got to put our prayers into action. But how can we do that without the power of God? We can't. We need the Holy Spirit. The disciples could do nothing. They couldn't understand without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That word power, the word there that is used is dynamis. Dynamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. It's explosive power. Powerful. It's explosive power. And as we are going to see on Pentecost Sunday, and we are going to look at, I believe, in the Holy Spirit next week. When the apostles did receive this power, they were so filled with the Spirit, they couldn't contain it. And Christianity spread like a rushing flood of water throughout the world. The good news is, that same power, that same dynamite, is available to us. Very same power. When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts and our minds, which is God living inside us. When we surrender to God's will, anything, anything is possible. The whole New Testament bears witness to this truth. And we are given incredible power. Power to be transformed, Power to love as God loves. Power to face our fears unafraid. Power to live, really live. And power to announce to the world, we have a king. We have a savior. He is risen. He is risen indeed. But we're surrounded by a world that's gone crazy. Just in the neighborhoods around our church. There are kids on drugs. Men and women are living lives devoid of love, hope, or meaning. People are hurting one another everywhere. We have a mental health crisis. There is anger and fear in the air all around our country, our world, and in Manatee County, Florida. The world is filled with tears. And the only answer, the only answer, the only cure is Jesus Christ. The Christ who said, turn the other cheek, love your enemies and do good to them and lay down your swords. And yet, while these horrible things are happening every single day, the church is often too distracted with internal struggles and moral judgments to do anything about it. Are we ready to stop gawking and do something? And do what Christ has called us to do? Are we ready to really, really get serious about Christianity? Are we ready to put our words and prayers into action? It's not about judging people and who is in and who is out. It's about loving people into the light by the power of God's Holy Spirit. It's about allowing God to shine through us. It's about allowing the power of God to burst forth from us. Explosive power bursting forth from us. The Holy Spirit does the work. Don't forget that. The Holy Spirit does the work. We are simply those through whom the Holy Spirit works. 
We must be willing, though. We must be intentional. There was a woman, I read this story, of a woman in a weekly Bible study who made a life-changing discovery. And it was quite by accident. And it was in her basement. One day, she noticed that in her basement, which is normally dark, there were in a dark corner some potatoes beginning to sprout. There's no dirt, no light there. And at first, she could not figure out how they were getting any light to grow until she went down one afternoon, and the afternoon sun was shining in the little basement window. There was a copper kettle that she had polished some time ago, and it was still shining. And the sun rays were hitting that pot in such a manner that it was giving light to that dark corner, causing the potatoes to grow. She later said, when I saw that reflection, I thought, I might not be a preacher or teacher, but I can be a copper kettle Christian. I can catch the rays of the Son of God and reflect his light to someone who finds themselves in a dark corner. Is that not what we are called to do? Is that not what we are called to do? We are to witness, to herald to the whole world the presence, love, and saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ by allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to shine forth, molding us, strengthening us, encouraging us, teaching us, inspiring us, and enabling us to help bring others to a saving knowledge of the truth. But how do we do this? How do we reach those people? What do we got to do? The prophet Isaiah, at one point, had had enough. He watched the people faithfully go to worship almost daily. They went to the temple. They fasted. They prayed. They sang and then would leave the temple and abuse their servants and treat people in a terrible, terrible way. Isaiah had had enough. And in Isaiah's book of prophecy, the 58th chapter, he says this, speaking for God. Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be like the noonday. 
The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. What Isaiah is saying there is God is looking for a different kind of worship. Church, I love coming to church on Sunday morning. I love gathering together, fellowshipping, praying, singing. I love, I love preparing sermons. This is all wonderful. I'm not saying that's wrong, but that is not the only form of worship. We cannot leave here and forget what we've done today. Acts of worship. Isaiah is saying, I am calling for a new act of worship. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. There are homeless people everywhere in Manatee County alone. They need shelter. We are called to be a repairer of the breach. And notice that strange phrase Isaiah uses. And not to hide yourself from your own kin. He is saying, folks, don't act like you don't notice them. Don't act like you don't see them. They're there. You know they're there because you treat them like dirt. That's what he's saying. Don't act like you don't see them. As a matter of fact, over in Luke, John the Baptist has just given a fiery sermon. A fiery sermon. And then in verse 10, as a response to that, the people, the crowds asked him, after he's preached this just fire and brimstone sermon. The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. John's response to that fiery sermon, what do we do? Clothe and feed the needy. Clothe and feed the needy. That is an act of worship. That is the act of worship that pleases God. That's what he's saying. And a phrase we didn't read in the creed immediately following the one we're looking at. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. How's he going to judge us? Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is telling folks he's going to separate. The king is going to separate the righteous and the unrighteous, the sheep and the goats. What's going to be the difference? Well, to the righteous, to the sheep, he's going to say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I was homeless and you gave me shelter. All those sorts of things. And the righteous are going to say, Jesus, when did we ever see you naked or hungry or thirsty or in prison? And what did Jesus say? If you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. To the unrighteous, it's going to have a different judgment for them. The goats. It's going to say, I was thirsty. 
and give me anything to drink. I was in prison. You never came to see me. I was naked. You didn't, you didn't give me anything. You passed me by. The unrighteous, just like the righteous. When did we ever see you like that, Jesus? When you did not do it for the least of these. You did not do it to me. Now, there are those that would say, well, there's deserving poor and undeserving poor. They got themselves into this mess. That doesn't matter. That's not our job. Jesus said nothing about give to the needy, feed the hungry. If they're hungry by some excusable means. No. It's a feed the hungry, period. Well, let me give you an example. My sister-in-law, Darley, was here visiting with us, and we were pulling out of a shopping center, and there's a traffic light there for us to turn on to the, the main road, and we're sitting at the traffic light. Beth's driving, I'm in the passenger seat, my sister-in-law is in the back seat. There's a guy holding up a sign, cardboard sign. She rolls down the back window, I don't know how much she gave him, but she gave him some money. She rolled the window back up and she said to Beth and I, I know that was probably stupid, but I just felt compelled to do that. I said, why would you say that's stupid? She said, well, he might take, some would say he might take that and just go buy alcohol with it. He, he's probably going to go to that convenience store over there and buy a pack of cigarettes. I said to her, what if he does? That's between him and God. Our responsibility is to be obedient. When we have that nudge, when we have that nudge, what they do with it, that's God's job. Let's not get it twisted to where we think we're God and we can make that judgment call. We have no right nor place. We are not the ones exalted. Who is exalted? Jesus Christ is exalted. He has that right. He'll take care of it. Trust Jesus. He'll take care of it. We reach these people by taking an active part in the mission activity, not only of the church, but our community, where we reach out to the lost and broken without judgment, without judgment, but with open hearts, open minds, and open doors, and the love of Christ. And when we do this, like the child who's saying, winter are we there yet? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? We won't be asking that question anymore because suddenly the journey itself has become so interesting. Isn't it a wonderful thing to see God touch somebody's life? Maybe for the first time that they've experienced it. It's just, we're going to find that there's so much to see and to do. And we'll be so busy 
taking care of the needy as God has instructed us to do, that the when we get there is not so important anymore. The final part of this summary of his exaltation is this. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Again, we tend to appreciate that he rose. That declares victory. But we may not think as much about him being seated at the right hand of God. We may hear that and simply think of it as a reminder that he's no longer here physically. He's left us here. The truth that we'll see is that he sent his spirit, and that spirit is more present today than ever. It's telling us about his glory. He fulfilled the ultimate victory of God and was then returned to be given his rightful position. Using the language of the day to describe it, that of royalty ascending the steps to their rightful throne and then the honor of taking their proper seat. It means he is now in the place of supreme and highest honor in the universe. God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. Jesus is already enthroned as the true king. There's some people that don't know that. We are to be witnesses. We are to be heralds in word and deed. In word and deed. He died. Behold, he is alive forevermore. And one day, God's kingdom will come fully and completely. And finally, in the meantime, we have got a big, big, exciting job to do. There is nothing more important in all this earth. We have to let everyone know, again, in word and deed. Everyone needs to hear. We have a king. We have a savior. We do that as we love God, love neighbor, and transform our community. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Grant, O Lord, that what has been said with our lips we may believe in our hearts, and that what we believe in our hearts we may practice in our lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Amen. And now receive this benediction. God bless you. Have a great week. Walk with Jesus and tell somebody about Manatee Life Church. Go in peace. Amen. Often our biggest challenge isn't that we don't know what to do, but that we're afraid to do it. Fear so often gets in the way of listening to the voice of God in our lives. But Jesus is the one who assures us that we do not have to be afraid because he's got our back. He goes with us. His power is available to us. That's why Paul writes in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus promises that he will never leave us. We are not ever left alone. God is always with us and God is leading us. This doesn't mean that it's easy to take a step forward, try something new, 
leave behind something familiar or take a risk. Fear is not a sign of weakness or unfaithfulness. Fear is a sign that we're on the cusp of growth. I want to encourage each one of you, stay open and remember to create space to hear from God. Test the decisions you will make and don't rush in. But maybe most importantly, don't let fear stop you. Remember that God never promises the next step will be easy, but God does promise that we will never be left alone, that God's power will be available to us, and that God always has a hopeful future prepared for us. We've begun talking about something that is challenging for me and most of us. While we tend to think about faith as internal and personal, Jesus asks his followers to make it external and public. He calls each of us to be witnesses or heralds, as I talked about in that sermon. Those who share faith with others in word and deed. We have begun talking with this sermon about what it means to be a witness or a herald, why we struggle with that, and how becoming more open about our faith can deeply change the lives of people around us. So this year is off to a great start. I love seeing so many of you in worship, so many of you tuning in on YouTube every week, and those that are joining us here on Soul Ramblings Podcast. If you haven't been to church in a while, this is a great weekend to join us in person or online. You can join us on online at 1030 Eastern Sunday mornings. Click on the link in the show notes. It'll take you right there. And wherever you're listening to Soul Ramblings podcast today, be sure to click subscribe, and that way you never miss a new episode. I want to thank you for the gift and privilege of your time today. And as always, a last piece of advice, if you believe in goodness and if you value the approval of God, fix your minds on whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and praiseworthy. Until next week on Soul Ramblings podcast from Manatee Life Church in Bradenton, Florida, I'm Jerry Wicker. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Soul Ramblings with Jerry Wicker. Download new episodes every week. And if you haven't already, subscribe and be sure to leave us a rating and review. Soul Ramblings is a Tiki Hut Media production.